Well, we have been going through the book of Daniel together, and obviously we're going to take a week off of that as we celebrate and recognize Sanctity of Life Sunday. So we'll be back to Daniel next week. Um, like I said, so it's Sanctity of Life Sunday. This weekend has been going on for 39 years. Churches have uh, preached on, argued for, celebrated life, particularly pre-born life. We've done this because 50 years ago, abortion became legal. And Christians then moved to action to seek to overturn that law that, became, that made abortion illegal. Or legal. And in doing so, to preserve human life. Last year, you might remember, Roe v. Wade was overturned and abortion on demand was no longer a federally protected right. But access to abortion is still legal in many states. Many women are still in crisis with nowhere to turn uh, and feel hopeless. Many pre-born babies and mothers and fathers need somewhere to run, to turn, and what better place for them to run to than the church. And so why do we do this? Why do we believe all life is sacred? Why does this truth uh, only apply, uh, to, or does this truth only apply to pre-born life, or does it extend beyond? What I want to do this morning is take a few minutes to give you the reasons why we believe that all life is sacred, and to seek to show you how that belief should drive everything that we think and do in regards to people, especially the more vulnerable people amongst us. That is my goal and task this morning. Before we jump in, let's just take a moment and pray, uh, and then we'll dive into this. Father, we're thankful for your kindness. Uh, we're thankful that you brought everyone here safely through the snow. And for those watching at home online, I uh, pray you keep them safe as they might need to get out later. Uh, Father, this morning as we broach uh, what is a difficult topic in our culture, uh, what is a controversial topic in our culture, we pray that here um, that we w would have a rallying cry around um, what is not a political issue for us, but what is a, an issue of, of love and care and support and, and of life and of what is sacred. Uh, and so, Father, help us to be a church that is a, a lighthouse uh, to care for people, uh, to, to show people the, un, um, uh, <coughs> the, the amazing grace of Jesus, the unconditional grace of Jesus, um, and help us to walk beside families who are struggling with this, that we might help preserve life. Father, we love you to do this this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. All people said? Number one, if you're taking notes. Why do we believe all human life is sacred? Why do we believe all human life is sacred? Guys, so often we believe things, we think things, we have opinions on things or on topics, and when we are pushed on those opinions, when those opinions are challenged, sometimes we crumble because we didn't know the why. We didn't know the reason or the why behind that opinion or that belief. I do not want that to be the case for really anything that we believe, and this morning particularly on this issue of life. As Christians, we must not be the people who check our brains at the door and turn our brains off and just believe what we're told to believe. On the contrary, we challenge everything. We challenge every claim of truth, and we seek the truth in all things. We are radically committed to the truth. We believe in truth over tradition. We believe in truth over politics. We believe in truth uh, over convenience. We believe in truth over my desires or my opinions. So why do we believe that all life is valuable or all life is sacred? Why do we believe? 
Is it because our political party says it? Absolutely not. Is it because the science tells us life is valuable? Absolutely not. Science actually cannot answer the question of value. Science can tell us if something is or isn't alive, and uh, there's degrees of, of consciousness. And I've found that both parties or both positions on this issue, as it pertains to the preborn specifically, can use science to argue for their preferred position. And can make good arguments using the science on either side of this position. The science can be helpful, but it never serves as the why. It never serves as the reason for our value of human life, particularly preborn life. It simply cannot offer a credible opinion on the question. Well, then maybe it's philosophy. Maybe philosophy tells us life is valuable. This one's a little complicated because philosophy can certainly answer the question, does life have value? Certainly a biblical worldview, which is a philosophy, says that. But are there not competing philosophies, competing worldviews? And so while we use philosophy, certainly there is a deeper level still. So why do we believe all life is valuable? Here's the answer. We believe all human life has value because God has told us in his, that God has told us it does in his word. We believe all human life has value because God has told us it does in his word. That might sound like a cop-out answer to you. Maybe in your mind you wanted this morning, you want me to, to, to give you the scientific reasons or, or the philosophical reasons. And I get that. Those things can be helpful. Those are good arguments and those are good reasons. They are not the reason we hold life to be sacred. We hold you, human life as valuable because God has told us that human life is valuable. The why isn't political, it isn't scientific, it isn't philosophical. The why is theological. Science and philosophy only serve as additional ammunition to fuel our point about what God has already revealed and said about human life being valuable. If God says it, it's final. And so let's consult what God says. In Genesis 1 and 2, it tells us that God created humanity in a particular way. God has created the whole world, right? He's created birds and animals and, and fish. He's created the trees. He's created all of these things. And he said they're, they're good. But on the sixth day, he creates man and he creates women. And he says that they are very good. And he says that he creates them in his image. And, and, and something that he did not do with all of the other animals and all of the other things. But for, with people, particularly, he creates them in his image, in his likeness to reflect him. This biblical and theological truth is our starting place. But God takes that truth, and he actually shows us how to apply that truth. He creates us in his image, but then in Genesis 9, verse 6, God tells Noah, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? So if you murder somebody, if you kill somebody, if you shed their blood, then there's punishment for that. Why? For God made man in his own image. The basis for saying murder is wrong is the image of God. It is not wrong to kill animals. It is not wrong, uh, or it, it is wrong to kill another person because when you kill a human, you destroy the image of God. And when you destroy something God created in his likeness, 
You're destroying the crown jewel of his creation. In Psalm 139, 13, David writes, Ryan read this earlier, For you formed, me, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The text clearly teaches that God forms a person before they are born, not during or after they are born, but before they're born. While they're in the womb, he makes them in his image. Job 34, he says, if he should test his heart to it and gather to himself a spirit in his breath, all flesh would perish and man would return to dust. If, if, if God wanted to, he could simply cease preserving the universe and we would cease to exist. You see, God created us and, and when he creates Adam, what does he do? He, he breathes into his nostrils, right? He breathes life into him. And at any moment, God could take that away. And we would cease to exist. God is creator and he gives life. And in so giving life, he gives value to us. Where does our value come from? Not because we are the smartest creatures on the earth or because we are the most advanced creatures on the earth. Our value comes from a God who made us in his image, placed his breath in our lungs, and upholds our existence. And that value, our value, is then affirmed and proved by God's love for humanity in that God sent his son to die. To spill his blood for our sin, to restore us to his family. Jesus did not die for the animals. Jesus did not die for fallen angels. He died for humanity and humanity alone. It speaks to our value. Everyone created in the image of God has value from the womb to the tomb. That is what it means for us as a church to be pro-life. It's not just when they're pre-born. We, are, we think everyone created in the image of God has value from the womb to the tomb, from the beginnings of life when they are yet a single-celled zygote to when they take their last breath. They have value. Our Bible, our theology, the Word of God, a Christian worldview, our philosophy affirms this one simple but profound truth. People are created in the image of God, so therefore no matter what... So therefore, we're going to apply this in the same way that God shows us how in Genesis 9-6. Because we're creating the image of God, therefore, no matter what the color of someone's skin is, how much money they have or don't have, no matter what country they are from, what language they speak, what choices they have made, good choices, bad choices, no matter their political persuasion, no matter their past crimes or present crimes, they all bear the image of God and our Savior has spilt his blood for them. They are filled with God's breath. And therefore, they all live with intrinsic value. Value given to them from the moment of conception. They cannot grow or diminish by anything they do. That value doesn't grow or diminish by anything anyone does. I would remind you of a core value of our church that says everyone is valuable. It's a core value of who we are. And no matter who walks in these doors, no matter who we run into, we believe they have value because they're created in the image of God. So what does it mean then to have value? What does it mean for people to have value? Well, to have value means you're worth something. To have value means you're worth something. The material things in our lives that have value, what do we do with them? Well, we, we lock them up in a safe to protect them. Uh, we treat them gently or with, with care. 
Uh, we, we take care of them. We continually invest in them, maybe. Our home is mo- the thing that most of us have that's the most valuable thing to us. And what do we do? We plant flowers. We paint the walls. We clean it. We keep it up. We improve it. We invest in it so that it holds value and increases in value. For me, I have a lot of guitars and, uh, passed down to me. And, and one of them has both monetary value and sentimental value. My 1954 uh, uh, Martin guitar that my grandma bought at a yard sale for $15 and then had fixed up. But passed from my grandfather to my dad and my dad to me. Uh, it was what, I, what the guitar I learned on. And so for me, th- if, if there's a fire in my house, after all my kids get out and I can go back in, I'm going for the guitar. It has value to me. You know, I'm trying to, Kate's like, you can't go back in there, but I got to get the guitar. It has value to me. It has history to me. And so I keep it in the case. I take care of it. I treat it in accordance with its value. I behave in accordance to its value, which leads me to the next thing. If we agree that human life has value and worth and dignity and is sacred because people bear the image of God, then it should absolutely affect how we treat, how we advocate, how we invest in, how we talk to, how we think about people. Particularly, we should apply this to those people that we are prone to neglect or those people that are particularly vulnerable. Let me give you kind of a theological way of thinking about this. Orthodoxy should always lead to orthopraxy. That is, right thinking, orthodoxy, right thinking should lead to right practice, orthopraxy. Right thinking rightly, believing rightly should rightly lead to us acting rightly. Our right beliefs should lead, lead to right actions. When we believe rightly, we should act rightly. Our opinions and our beliefs should change the way we live. But at some reason, that doesn't always happen. You see, sometimes there is a disconnect between what we believe and what we do. There is a, our mind says one thing and believes one thing. Yes, I believe people are creating the image of God, of value, dignity, and worth. And yet, sometimes we speak and act contrary to those core beliefs in our mind. So we need to get our minds and our hearts and our hands sometimes on the same page. We need to get our minds and our hands on the same page so that our theology, our beliefs, can flow down from our head into our heart and inflame our affections for the truth. And in this circumstance, inflame our affections for people. And then from the head to the heart, then flow down to our hands uh, so that we could change how we live and change how we interact. We must get our head, heart, hands on the same page so that we can live out the truth. Sometimes we're all about the truth, all about what's right. But the truth must affect our head, our heart, and our hands, our actions. If we don't, we will find ourselves being hypocrites. If we don't do this, if we don't get all our our mind and our hands on the same page, we will find ourselves being hypocrites, failing the mission of Christ clearly handed down to us. If we don't get our minds and our hands on the same page, we will fail what James says in James chapter 1 when he says, Pure and undefiled religion is this, to care for widows and orphans in their distress, and their affliction. You, you know, the whole book of James has one central point, that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. The faith in Christ leads to life change. If you believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, your life will be different. It will be marked by certain things. And one of his applications is that if you trust in Jesus, it will cause you to care for the vulnerable. And in that time, particularly widows and orphans. And so, second point, a 
theology that values people should lead to actions that care for people. A theology, a doctrine, a belief that values people, as ours does, should lead to actions that care for people. Once we get the head right, the theology right, how should that change us? I want to give us a couple specific ways that we should be different because of our theology, that everyone is valuable, that's our theology, because we're creating the image of God. How does that lead us? How does that change us? <clears throat> million ways we can apply this and think about this to specific situations. I'm going to try to give us a few and some big picture uh, ways to think about this uh, for time's sake. Number one, or A, because human life is valuable, we should treat people in accordance with their value. Because human life is valuable, we should treat people in accordance with their value. One of the most obvious examples of how Christianity specifically has failed this historically, has failed to treat people in accordance with their value, is obviously slavery, right? We think about slavery or even general racism over the years. Christians have used many excuses to justify the owning and slaving of people because of the color of their skin. And have even later denigrated and treated shamefully people because of the color of their skin. To act in such a way that you believe you are superior for any reason, much less because you're pastier than someone else, is ungodly and sinful and does not take our theology that people are created in the image of God and have value seriously. And let's be honest, everyone of every race has probably done this on some level, right? We have a natural sinful bent in our hearts that when we see someone different than us, who speaks a different language than us, who is, is, looks different than us, we tend to think less of that person because we're sinners, even sometimes when we don't intend to. Think of the way Christians talk about border security. There is nothing wrong with having a border and securing that border. We should do that. There's lots of different policies we can have about that. I'm not here to, argue, to, to advocate for one or the other. But the way we speak of and the way we treat those trying to cross that border matters. We should not uh, uh, poorly talk about or think about people from another country because they're trying to get into our country illegally. That makes them no less valuable, no less worthy of dignity. Or think about our political discourse over the past few years. You know, I have this romanticized notion that there was a time when people got together and just debated ideas. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if that day was ever actually here. Uh, but I have this romanticized picture. We, we just got together and we, we talked about ideas. We talked about policy. We talked about thoughts. It's a future that I want for our, ki- our children. But today we don't do that. We don't argue about ideas and thoughts. We just slander people. We're just looking for a gotcha moment or a catch someone in a scandal, and we attack people. We make shooting ranges with pictures of our preferred or the, pe- the political people we hate the most. We put them on a target and shoot their faces, and we think it's funny. We do it for fun. We degrade and demean people. We hope the worst for people that we simply don't like their policies. And hear me, their policy might be atrocious. It might be terrible. You can hate it. But that person has value, dignity, and worth because they're creating the image of God. But no matter which politicians you hate, right or left, they're worthy of dignity and honor as carriers and bearers of the image of God. Our posting online, we've got to be thoughtful about the things we say. We can, we can disagree with the policy by all means, but let us, let us argue, let us lament, let us rage against horrible policy. Let's do that. But let's treat the people 
with the dignity that they are due as image bearers. Guys, we can apply this to so many areas, I don't have time to do them all, but let me list a few more quick ones that we can think through. We can treat people with special needs with the value that they are due. People with special needs are not second-class citizens. When we engage with or watch pornography, we are not treating women on that screen with the value and the dignity that they are due as image bearers. And finally, we must treat sinners with the dignity that they are due. Now, we're all sinners, absolutely, but there are some sins that are more public than others, some sins that are looked down more on other people. We never excuse sin, we never water down sin, we never, we never act like it's not real, but we love sinners. Jesus loves sinners, and we love sinners, amen? And so when someone walks through this door, and they are uh, holding the hand of someone of the same gender, and you want to look down your nose at them, don't. We affirm that is a sin. But they need the love of Jesus more than anything else in those moments. And so when people are doing things that are, are morally bankrupt in our opinion, when people are doing things that are sinful and wrong, we can hold to those convictions while still treating people with kindness and dignity according to the value that they have as image bearers. Two, or B, because human life is valuable, it should change the language we use. It's a quick point, but the words we use here matter for a couple reasons. One, the words and language we use matter because we're committed to the truth. And we want to speak accurately about people. Jesus tells us from, from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So when we speak ill of someone, it is simply revealing the sin in our own hearts. And we want to repent of that. If we give into a culture that wants to force us to use language that is intentionally deceptive, then we will make it that much easier for the next generation to reject the truth. And so, we do not use words like fetus or the pregnancy or something like that with the motive, it's not that you can't say the word fetus, but we don't use it with the motive of not saying baby. We want to affirm that at a day old, at a minute old, that thing living inside this mother's womb is no thing, it is no it, it is no parasite. It is a child created in the image of God with value, dignity, and worth. And we want to use the language that says that. In the same way, we want to make sure our language builds people up and doesn't degrade or tear them down. And so we don't use racial slurs. We don't make sexist remarks that two people are behind their backs. Because all that does is serve our own pride and arrogance. Another point, one of the things that's coming, uh, coming quickly, I think Canada is big in this, the, Europe's big in this, is this, thing, this idea, death with dignity. Death with dignity. Where you assi you, it is assisted suicide. When someone's ready to die, they come in, you just pump them full of drugs, and they slowly close their eyes and go to sleep and never wake up again. There is no such thing as death with dignity. To end someone's life has no dignity. It does exactly the opposite. It says that your life actually has no dignity. So end it. Your life has no, it, no dignity, so end your life. That's what it actually says. And so to say death with dignity is actually a lie. And we are here to say there's no such thing. And so we don't use that language, death with dignity. We're, we're going to say all life is precious. You know, we might uh, on the farm take our, our old, sick horse out behind the barn and put it down. We might do that, 
And that's okay. That's hard, but that's okay. We might do that. But when grandma has dementia and is struggling, we don't take grandma behind the barn and say, see you, grandma. It's been a good run. We don't do that. Why don't we do that? Because we know that grandma, even when she doesn't remember who I am, even when I have to change her diaper, even when I have to put her in the bathtub and wash her body, she has value, she has dignity, and she has worth as an image bearer of God who the blood of Jesus is spilled for. And so we treat her like that until Jesus calls her home. Our words matter and our words shape us, and so we want to speak accurately. See, because human life is valuable, we should advocate for policy that promotes human flourishing. Human flourishing. We know that this world is not our home. We know that there is a kingdom that is coming where all things will be set right. But while we are here in this fallen world, we have a stewardship. We have a voice, we have a vote, we can advocate for, we can speak up for, we can vote for policy and laws and leaders who make choices that affect people. And so, as we think about what the right choices for those things are, we must keep in mind that people are image bearers. And it is our job to advocate for them. In Genesis 2, God commands his people to take dominion, to take dominion of the world. That means to cultivate the world. That is to promote a world of human flourishing. That's what the word shalom means. It doesn't just mean peace. It means human flourishing. And so it is our task to use our voice, to use our vote, to use every tool at our disposal and in our arsenal to promote a world where every human, no matter who they are, where they're from, how much money they have, the bad choices they've made, the color of their skin, we set all of that aside and we say God and us are working for your good. I cannot tell you, it is not my job to tell you what the right policies are. Those are complicated questions. It is not my job to tell you what the right laws are. It is not my job to tell you who to vote for. Those are hard and complicated and very difficult things that Christians have argued about and will continue to argue about. There is not always a right answer. It is often way more gray than I'd like it to be. But what I am saying is the human flourishing because people have value, must be one of the big driving factors in our decisions for the things we advocate for. Because remember, laws only restrain evil. That's all they do. Laws merely stop people from doing bad things. The reason we have for so long advocated for anti-abortion laws is not to change people's hearts. We know laws don't change hearts. We do it to stop them from aborting babies, to protect those babies' lives. But after the laws are in place, as they are in some states, that doesn't mean our work is over. That doesn't mean we stop advocating. Now we go about changing hearts and minds. We have to go about changing hearts and minds. Here is our goal. We don't want abortion to just be illegal. We want it to be unthinkable. We don't want to just force people not to do it. We want it to never be a thought in their head. We never want it to be an option on the table for them. Because they know there's help. And that we're not going to abandon them. And the only way we can do that is by being there and caring for mothers and fathers in distress 
to not just be there for the baby before it's born, but to be there for the baby after it's born. We must show the world why we believe things like abortion are wrong. Not just with our words, but with our actions, showing them that we really care. Look, people are going to take shot at, shots at us for this position. They're going to shoot at us for holding the position of, of life. We've got to not give them ammo. We've got to not give them ammo. Let's not give them the argument that says, we only care about babies in the womb, but once they're born, we say to the mom, good luck, you're on your own. Let's take that argument away from them and let's show them that we care for preborn babies just like we care for 90-year-old dementia grandmothers. Just like we care for widows. Just like we care for illegal aliens who are working illegally and taking people's jobs. Just like we care for homelessness. Just like we care for people who are depressed and hurting. We care for all of them. We're there for all of them. We have an answer for all of them. Let's live in such a way that people say this. Guys, this is the goal. Let's live in such a way that people say, man, I don't know if Christianity is true or not, but boy, am I sure glad those Christians were there to help. Let's be that kind of church. I don't know if what they're saying is true, but I'm sure glad Fellowship Baptist Church is there. If that was the testimony we had before the world, you better believe people would be interested in what we had to say about Jesus. But one of the reasons people could care less about what we have to say about Jesus is because they do not see us living out the things that we argue for. They do not see us loving our neighbors. They don't see us loving our enemies. They do not see us creating a world of human flourishing. Instead, they see us as power-hungry political animals who just want to hurt people. That's not true, but that's what they see us as. And we got to show the world. we got to show Mainville first and Cincinnati that we care for people because they're creating the image of God, and I guarantee you they will start listening to what we have to say about Jesus. Finally, because human life is valuable, we seek to reach every person with the gospel. Because human life is valuable, we seek to reach every person with the gospel. Not only do we know that human life is valuable because it's creating the image of God, but we can put a price tag on what human life is worth. We know exactly the amount a human life is worth. The homeless man strung out on drugs, the illegal alien, the LGBTQ advocate, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, and even the atheist Richard Dawkins who hates Jesus, and for the kid who thinks they're a cat and wants to go use a litter box in the public school, and the parent that enabled that, I know how much they are worth. They are worth the life of the Son of God. Do you believe that, church? Jesus gave his life and poured out his blood for everyone. God saw humanity at their worst and still found us worth saving. We were valuable enough to him to send his son through hell so that we could be brought into his family. And if God finds us that valuable and sacrificed that much, how much should we change in order to reach the world with the gospel? How can we love mothers who are pregnant but aren't ready to have that baby? How do we help her know that she's going to be okay, that we'll be with her, and that Jesus loves her? Guys, think about this. Sometimes we are so busy arguing about how we need to shut down the border and how we need to keep those illegals out of our country. But don't you see, we've been called by God to reach the nations with the gospel. And the nations are coming to us. The, Paul would have flipped out. 
Paul's traveling in the world, trying to reach the world with the gospel, and now they're coming to us. They want to move here. We should be rejoicing, saying, bring them on. Cincinnati, we'll employ them. We'll care for them, and we'll share Jesus with them. Here is the reality. Following Jesus means everything changes. Our priorities, our values, the way we see the world, Jesus changes everything. And if you think you've got it figured out, and that you are completely aligned with Jesus and his values, I'd encourage you to take a strong look. Because everyone, starting with me first, starting with me, need to take inventory of our lives and conform not to a voting block, not to a political party, not to our friend group. need to conform into the image of Jesus. Jesus values people, people of every tribe, tongue, and language, every nation. And so we do too. One day, one day, hopefully soon, all of these people, the people who do not look like us, talk like us, sound like us, the people we don't understand or get, the people we disagree with, will one day be gathered around a throne singing and praising one king. And all of those differences, all of those disagreements will mean nothing because we will be one family with our eyes on one Jesus. And then in that moment, suddenly everything comes into perspective. Everything comes into perspective because with the joint cry of all of these people on bended knee, We'll say, Jesus is Lord. And then finally, we'll get it. Finally, we'll get it. Let's pray. Father, this morning, it is difficult sometimes for me and for us to wrestle with difficult truths and applications. It is hard for us sometimes to see things that we've thought or ways that we've spoken or things that we've done and realize maybe that wasn't the best. But the good news this morning is that your grace is new every morning. And every one of us in this room come to the foot of the cross together and find mercy and grace and a reset and a new day. And every one of us need to come again and again and again because we have not, all of us in this room have not valued people Rightly. None of us have. We've all failed this. We've all messed this up. I am the chief of everyone in this room who have messed this up. I've spoken of people too quickly, too arrogantly, used improper things to describe them. I've advocated for the wrong things. And Jesus, your mercy is new for me and it is new for you. So this morning, we're thankful for your grace. And God, we ask that you help us find those areas in our lives where we need to adjust a little bit and say, you know what, I used to think this. But now I see I need to value people the way Jesus did, the way the Bible commands me. I need to advocate for this instead. I need to think this way instead. I need to live out this way instead. God, would you help us be a church That people look at and they say, I don't know if what they're saying is true, but I'm so glad they're there. I'm so glad that when I was in crisis in my life, they showed up and helped me. And would you give those people a listening ear to hear the truth of the gospel? 
Father, we don't want to be a, tr- a church that is only concerned about social issues. But we do want to be a church that takes the gospel seriously enough to understand that it doesn't just change spiritual realities, it changes every reality. And it changes how we live, not just in the spiritual domain, but in every domain. Father, forgive us for where we fail. And help us to promote and serve life on every level, from womb to tomb. God, we love you. If you are here this morning and some of that sounded good to you, maybe different to you because you don't follow Jesus. I want to tell you this morning that this grace and mercy that's dying on the cross is for you. No matter your past, no matter your present, no matter the mistakes you've made, you don't got to get better and clean up. You can come right now and find Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've had an abortion, I want you to know we love you. I want you to know that Jesus will forgive you. I want you to know that he will not look at you as some second-class family member. He will make you whole again. If you're here this morning, you need to pray about anything. Come to know Jesus. Pray about anything. I'm going to stand up here on the left. Just invite you as we sing to come up. If you're here this morning, maybe, maybe let's just sing and focus on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. The one who gives life and gives value. We don't deserve it, but he gave it anyway. God be with us. We love you in Christ and we pray all people said. Let's stand together.